before us on our minds today. I hope that you think about Christ dying for us. It is a marvelous thought. It's a marvelous truth. But it's a truth that I'm not sure we stop and consider often. And I try not to get ahead of myself and preach the 1130 message in the 10 o'clock hour. But I want us to be thinking about that. Um, Because when we think about Christ and we think about his death and we think about for us, uh, that is really an amazing, amazing truth. But this morning, in this hour, let's go to the fifth chapter of John, if you would. John chapter number five. We've been studying through the book of John, and we've been in John chapter five now for a number of weeks. And we're going to begin here in verse number 17. And we're only going to read down through verse 18 this morning. But in verse 17, down through verse 27, begins an explanation that Jesus gives regarding his equality with the Father. Now, in our day and age as believers, Bible believers, that question, if I was to ask you today, do you believe that Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father? The answer should be 100% yes, I agree. I have no qualms about that, no doubts about that. Uh, If you do, uh, there is a problem in your theology. Uh, If you believe that Jesus Christ and God the Father are not equal, Uh, If you have a problem that the Trinity does not exist, if you don't believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is a serious problem with your belief or lack thereof. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father. In his equality, Jesus has the authority of the Father. So what Jesus does is never on his own. It's always based upon the authority of God the Father and of his own authority that's been granted to him. Now we say that and we say, preacher, we all understand to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is equal with God. Why is there such a dilemma with this? Well, it's interesting that that's what Jesus is going to deal with first. He's, remember, he has dealt with the, the uh, healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and how that lame man announced to these Jews that it was Jesus Christ that's, that healed him. It was Jesus Christ that saved him. But the Jews came not to rejoice with the lame man. They Instead, they came to ridicule the man and say, who's healed you? Uh, another uh, complicating fact was the fact that this healing took place on the Sabbath day. So instead of rejoicing with the man who was healed, the Jews sought to find out who healed you. And if he did, he was broken the law. The Jews are accusing Jesus of working on the Sabbath day. That's what leads us into the interaction that takes place this morning. In John chapter 5, verse number 17, after Jesus, uh, we see it last week, we left off in verse 16, and it says, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. So I want you to kind of keep that in mind. The, the Jews were mad that Jesus, they're saying what he has done is unlawful. He has broken the law. I mentioned to you last week that this was uh, a punishable by death according to the Jews' traditions. But then notice what Jesus says. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You notice that last phrase, making himself equal with God. In these verses from 17 to verse 27, we're going to see Jesus giving seven proofs of his deity or seven proofs of his equality with the Father. This is the first of those seven. If I was to give you a quick background of what's happening here or an outline of verses 17 through 27, we would find in verses 16 through 18 that Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father in redemption and in service. In verse number 19, Christ is equal with God the Father in will. If I was to show you verse number 20, we would see Jesus Christ is equal with the Father in knowledge. Verse 21 shows us Jesus is equal with God in sovereign rights. Verses 22 through 23, Jesus is equal with the Father in divine honor and worship. Verses 24 through 26, Jesus is equal with the Father in imparting life. And then in verses 27 and then down through, through 30 to an extent, uh, he's equal in judicial power and authority. 
But this morning, we're not going to cover all of those. We would never dare try to cover that amount. We're going to cover just the fact that Jesus Christ being equal with God in redemption and service. In redemption and service. So first of all, let's consider what Jesus is telling these Jews. He has made a startling revelation to them. Now, when I said that to you, none of you blinked. None of you for a minute thought, he's, he's preaching heresy, I need to get up and leave. Why? Because you have an understanding of true scripture. You have an understanding that if Jesus Christ is not equal with God the Father, then we don't have a God at all. And if we don't have a God at all, then we have absolutely no hope today. And how I began this hour by telling us, think about Christ dying for us. If Jesus Christ is not God, then Christ dying for us would have done absolutely nothing for your salvation because it would have had no power and no purpose, and we're all wasting our time. Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. He's equal with God. Jesus saying this to this Jew, these Jews made them even more upset. You notice that those verses are kind of bookend. Verse 16, it says that the Jews sought to persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. That was their first accusation. Jesus answers them, and after he answers them, then it says, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Uh, sought the more to kill him. Why? Because he made himself equal with God. Now these Jews have two charges against Jesus. Two false charges. Number one, you've broken the Sabbath day because you've healed a man. Number two, now you've really gone and done it because you have announced equality with God. This is a, an accusation that the Jews are going to bring against Jesus himself. Notice again, he says, but Jesus answered them. This is interesting because we don't see a question. Normally when you answer someone, it's in response to a question. Jesus doesn't, they don't ask him a question. He hears and sees what's happening and he answers and he says, my father worketh hitherto and I work. And we're going to break that phrase apart in just a moment because this is very important as to how Jesus is announcing what he's saying to them. Look at that first phrase, but Jesus answered them my father. Okay, that little phrase, my father, is not insignificant. Jesus is announcing something. He's announcing something to them that is remarkable. Absolutely true, but remarkable. He calls him a personal, my father. The Jews would have never referred to the God that they trusted in as their father. In the Jews' eyes, their father was Abraham. We'll see that in just a little while this morning. So Jesus is claiming equality with the Father. Again, this is something that is unremarkable. This is a remarkable thing. Jesus is declaring his absolute deity. He doesn't say, I point you to David. I point you to Moses. I point you to Jacob. I point you to Isaac. Christ says and identifies himself directly with the Father. In that day, and to those Jews, this was an unprecedented way to speak of God. It would have been the epitome of blasphemy to the Jew to actually say, my Father. Now that's what makes part of the New Testament covenant so remarkable, is that we're told that we can refer to God, our Father, as Abba Father. That is an unbelievable access to God because we're being told that you can have direct access with this Father and you can call upon Him. Abba is a very tender word. It's, it's a word that almost in our modern English translation, and we would never say it this way, but it almost has the same tone and tense as the word Daddy. It is a tender word. Jesus says, My Father... That word was an unprecedented thought to be said to them. The Jews rightly understood it as what he's saying. He is claiming equality with God. Equality with God is one of the seven proofs of Jesus Christ's deity. Christ, as he deals with this, in saying, my father, he affirms not only is God the father his father, but he's declaring absolute equality. When you look at the Godhead, you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is no such thing as one who is less. Now, sadly, in many of our independent Baptist churches, and Baptist churches for that matter as a whole, 
People have, for many years, disregarded the Holy Spirit or they've put an undue amount of emphasis on Him. It's either or, but he, the Holy Spirit is equal with God. He's, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. So when we talk about the Trinity, we're talking about the value of the Godhead. We're not just talking about, hey, this is just a minor thing. If you don't believe in the Trinity this morning, you've got theological problems that run very deep. They run so deep that causes an eternal problem for you. If you deny the Trinity, you're denying your whole entire salvation. So don't say it's not a, that should not be a separating matter. That is a separating matter. If you deny the Trinity, you're denying the deity of Christ. You're denying the deity of the Holy Spirit. You're denying ultimately the deity of God the Father. Because without the Trinity, there is no God. So what Jesus was saying here, he was declaring, I am absolutely equal with God the Father. Now here's the difference. Jesus is here on the earth. He's in human form. He's never ceased to be God, but he's taken on this robe of human flesh. Here's this human carpenter standing before them. And he says that what no one else has ever dared say before, I am equal with God. Imagine the alarm that set off. But it was setting an alarm off in them because they were unbelievers. That's the problem with this interaction. He's dealing with people that are unbelievers. It was blasphemy for Jesus to say this. It would be blasphemy for the highest-ranking Jewish rabbi or the highest-ranking Pharisee. It would be blasphemous for any one of them to equate themselves with the Father. It would have been blasphemous for Nicodemus, who was considered to be the, one of the highest ranking of, of those. If Nicodemus would have announced one day, I am equal with God the Father, that would have been blasphemy, and rightfully so. Because no man could claim what Jesus was claiming. Jesus was claiming something that had never been claimed as far as we see in the Scripture. When he speaks of my Father, and then notice the connection, my Father, and then there's the phrase, and I work. He draws a direct connection between my Father and I. There is no misunderstanding between those thoughts. Jesus didn't misspeak. He didn't miscommunicate. He's very clear about what he's saying. My Father and I, we're equal. We're one. And we'll see another scripture that he actually makes that statement as well. I and my Father are one. Now here's where it gets even more interesting. He's made this declaration, but he says, My Father worketh hitherto. That's an interesting phrase, the worketh hitherto. The word hitherto literally means until now. Now that's what really kind of spawns this into something even bigger. Because now Jesus says, my father who I'm equal with has worked until now. Worked at what? Well, it's true that if we just study the, the account of creation in the scripture... We understand that we're talking about a six-day creation. On the seventh day, Jesus, or God rested, correct? There was a rest from his work. By the way, it wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he was exhausted. He rested, and there's a whole picture in the Bible of what the rest means. And even Jesus Christ in later places declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath and declares himself to be rest. Our true rest is found in Jesus Christ. That's where rest is found. But that's for another day. So while it is true God the Father rested on that first day, or that seventh day rather, he rested from creative work, but he has never rested from his government work. He's never rested from his providential work. He's never rested from his sovereign work. He's never rested from his redemptive work. By the way, that same God who redeems is the same God who supplies every one of your needs every single day. Everything you have on your table, God supplied it. Everything you have in your home, God supplied it. God is the supplier. God the Father has never once in any part of history, even before the world began, has He ever stopped working. That seventh day of rest, it was a picture of a lot of things. But understand what Jesus is saying here. Remember, he's been accused of working on the Sabbath day, and now he tells them, my father works and I work. Man, this man to the Jews, he's committing absolute blasphemy. 
He's speaking like no other man has ever spoke before. And yet he's speaking truth. We know that the sun rises, the sun sets, tides come up, tides go out, rain falls, rains, clouds withhold the rain. It doesn't come. Why? All because of God's hand. But guess who determines all of those things? And the sun comes up on the Sabbath, the, the waves come up on the Sabbath, the rain falls on the Sabbath. All of that is God's working. Okay, God's constantly working. But what is he working for? God never rests from all of these things. All through time, God the Father's been working. His working hasn't just been restricted to this material realm, the things that we have. A lot of people just make God a material worker. He's a, he's a, he's a, a genie in a bottle, if you will. I want God to work for me. I want God to go to bat for me. I want God to take care of me. All those things are wonderful, but that's not the most important work God does. God's supplying you with blessings and food every day, believe it or not, is not the most important work he's ever done. And it's not the reason that he came. It's not the reason that he came and sent his son is it so you could have food on the table, although it's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? But that's not the main reason. Well, Jesus Christ in human form came many, many years after that seventh day rest. But Jesus Christ has always been. He wasn't born in a manger the way we often look at it. We say Jesus Christ has his beginning in that manger, whatever date you want to call it, which doesn't matter what date it was. That was not his beginning. That was him coming to do the work that his father had been doing. So now we have this authoritative Jesus who's claimed equality with God, who now says that my father has worked hitherto until now. That doesn't mean he's saying he stopped working, but what he does say, I work. Now this is a direct, a direct shot, if you will, back at what the Jews have accused him of. Just as God the Father has never stopped working, there has never been a moment in time when God has stopped working in convicting man of their need of a Savior. Do you know that even in the creation of this earth, God's redemptive work was what was at the heart of it? Have you ever stopped to think, why in the world would God create the earth to begin with? I mean, we want to get the origin of life. We want to get to the origin of earth. And people have argued for years, some very foolishly. Some have argued we got here by chance. Some have argued that you're, you're, you're the result of space junk, is what I like to say. But the reality is, is that's not the question. The question is, why did God create you in the first place? He didn't have to. Somehow we think God owes us a blessing because we're here. No, it's a blessing that you're even existing. God didn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't look down from heaven and say, boy, I need that preacher in the pulpit today. He doesn't need me at all. And if he was to take me right now, he would not be missing a beat nor losing anything. If he was to take the greatest preacher who's ever lived, his word would still go on. So why in the world would God the Father be working before the foundation of the world for redemption? Because it's redemptive work. What did Jesus Christ come to do? He didn't come to give you a good example to follow. Although he is a great example. That's not why he came. He didn't come so you could say, now that's the kind of man you want to be. No, he came because that was part of the redemptive plan of God long before the foundation of the world. Let me get this straight. Jesus Christ and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, are going to create an earth. And they're going to create people who are going to sin and violate his will. <laughs> Why in the world? What's he thinking? Well, that's what we're going to get to over time. But this worketh hitherto. It's always been about this redemptive work in God's glory. 
Now notice again, he says, and I work. He's saying that I am carrying on the same work that God the Father's been doing. In redemptive work, Christ is one with the Father. In other words, there is no salvation in Jesus Christ apart from God the Father. So if you say, you know what, I'm not really that big into God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. I'm just all about Jesus. Now that sounds very religious. It actually sounds, you might, it sounds like you might know what you're talking about. But you're wrong. You're so far off, it's not even funny. Because without God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, there is nothing found in Jesus Christ. Now, we're, we preach Jesus Christ every single message. You all who, who come here for years, you know that. If there's, a, if there's ever a service you come here where Jesus Christ is not mentioned, you tell me. I'm the, I don't think it's ever happened. But oftentimes, and this is most likely true, it always also includes God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We don't deny the Trinity here. We are in full agreement with the Trinity. We are in full agreement with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we certainly are in full agreement with Jesus Christ being equal with God. And we make no bones about that. You say, doesn't every Baptist church believe that? No, they don't. Baptists are supposed to be people of the book. But yet, there's Baptists that only them, they don't believe all of that. They've created some new mishmash of ideas. Here's Jesus declaring right now, I'm equal with God the Father. I am 100% equal with him. So from the foundation of the world, the Father has been working his will through his Son to redeem a people out of every nation. Now here's what the Bible does not teach. The Bible does not teach that every single person who's ever lived can be or will be saved. It's just not there. But it does say that God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit is working in the world to call out from every nation a people for himself. Not because he needs them. Not because, because he has to have them. It is a people marked for himself. Now, we're going to try to use all of our examples from the book of John this morning. So we're going to, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to show you in Jesus' own words this truth about Jesus and God the Father working out this redemptive purpose. It doesn't mean that other scriptures are not important. I just want you to see this morning, I want you to see Jesus' words regarding this. Go over just a couple chapters to John 7 and look at verse number 1. Now, we can't expound these fully. We don't have the time to do that this morning. And we'll eventually come to John chapter number 7 because we're going verse by verse. But John 7 verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Two chapters later, Jesus is still being sought after to be killed based upon that and his statements. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, that's Christ, depart hence and go into Judea that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. I could park there. Now, they're asking him, okay, what, in, a, in a summarized way, what are they asking him to do? Show yourself right now to the whole world. Show them what you're doing. Show them your works. And Jesus responds in accordance with God the Father's will when he says this, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Jesus is saying the world hates me because what I say is that the world's works are evil. They're sin. You know why mankind hates Christ? Because Christ declares sin and he declares truth. You want to make somebody mad? There's nothing worse that will make someone mad than to tell them they're a sinner. 
But yet, Jesus Christ's workings were to declare, not I'm a great example, not that I'm someone you can follow, not that I'm someone you can write a a booklet after. I am declaring to you your need of me. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all part of creation. The very part of the creation account says, let us make man in our image. That word our is a reference to the Trinity. The theological theologians of the day will argue, well, the word Trinity is nowhere in the Scripture. There's a lot of words not in the Scripture that doesn't make it untrue. There's proof all throughout Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ declaring to them. He says, my time is not yet come. Jesus is acting here on a, in a sense of prophecy of God's plan for his life and death. In other words, Jesus is saying, the time has not come yet for me to go to that cross. It's not time for me to be taken and to be put on an old rugged cross. That time is not here yet. But yet, the Bible says that, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. The world here is a reference to mankind. This reference is just like we saw all the way back in John 3, 16, where we look at that verse and we think, for God so loved the world. He's talking about a love for mankind. And here you have that same thing. Why do they hate Christ? Why do the Jews hate Christ so much? Because what Christ is doing to these Jews and what he's doing to the world is he's announcing their sin. That's why Jesus Christ is not welcome in most places. Because the very name of Christ provokes in the heart of a sinner's conscience their sin. You can say God in a lot of places. I'm fully convinced God will be back in schools. Hear me. I'm fully convinced someday God will be back in the schools. Christ won't. There'll be a day you'll be able to talk about God. You know why? Because everybody will say God means whoever your God is. Because what they'll do is they'll say Allah is equal with God the Father. Or the Hindu gods are equal with this God. None of them are gods. But Jesus Christ says, I am God. But Jesus, by what he's doing, is he's announcing to the Jews who he's dealing with in John chapter number 5, number 1, they're accusing him of something he can't do. He can't sin. So you mean to tell me the Jews are telling Jesus, you've broken the law, you've sinned, Jesus? That's impossible. If Jesus could commit one sin, he ceases to be God. And if he ceases to be God, your redemption is a sham. But the truth is, They're accusing him of something that he can't do. He never works against the will of the Father either. In other words, Jesus Christ and God the Father don't have a discussion about saying, Father, it's time. It's time. When Jesus says, my time has not yet come, he's acting in equality with God the Father because he's saying, it's not the time for me to go to that cross yet, but you better believe when the day comes, I will go and I'll go willingly. They won't even have to hunt me down. I'll let them take me which you know that's what happens in the garden. He lets them take him. They don't trap him. They don't even let him go through a... He doesn't get forced into a sham of a trial. Sometimes we we use that so much and we say, well, it was a sham. Do you think Christ didn't know that? He went willingly because his time had come. You see, this equality with God is one of the greatest statements that Christ ever makes when he says, I'm equal with the Father. Now notice again, and again, at this time, most of the world's unaware of Jesus. He's just gaining fame. See, you and I live in such a now society, we sometimes can't transport ourselves back to Scripture and think about This was not exactly the same world in which we live in. Jesus Christ was walking in bodily form among the people. Now, just go with me and just 
Give me your imagination for a moment. Imagine living in a day and age when actually Jesus Christ could visit our church in bodily form. I mean, literally, someone pulls up and standing at the door, and of course, since the door is locked, we can have somebody get up, and I do that, and I point, and this morning it was somebody, and then I point, and then you turn around and you look, and it's Jesus standing at the door. See, we don't comprehend that. Now, this Jesus is gaining fame, and the Jews are hearing about this. They're hearing about the works, and suddenly, he's standing before them. A healing's taken place. The lame man says, it's Jesus that healed me. So they think he's a prophet of God of some sort. He says, oh, no, no, I'm more than a prophet. I'm God. Now, you and I, Jesus comes in the door. Hopefully, prayerfully, every one of us, we're hitting our face, and we're worshiping God. We're not giving him a list of what we need for the day. We're so taken by the fact that he's walked into our presence that we're literally on our face, laying face down in a spirit of worship. We're not asking him for anything. But yet here, the Jews are accusing him of something that he cannot possibly do. In this redemptive work, he announces he's equal with the Father in redemption. Now look at the second half of this, and he says, I worketh... I worketh hitherto, or worketh hitherto, he says. And I work, again, in redemption. But he's also equal with the Father in service. Now, this is what takes us back to the healing. Remember, God the Father has never stopped working. God the Father had even provided the needs of some of these very Jews who were accusing Jesus of violating the Sabbath day. You realize those Jews that got up that day, whatever was provided for them was provided by God himself. Nobody argues with the God that gives you what you want. Nobody argues with the God who supplies every one of your needs. But now Jesus does something that they accuse him of unlawfully working on the Sabbath day. Well, if God the Father's never stopped working, let me ask you a question. Wasn't it work and isn't it work every single day when God the Father puts food on your table? Isn't it work every single day that God in his sovereign hand protects and guides you and sends you another way? What do you think's happening? Do you think this is just chance? You think that, and I'm not trying to be silly, but you think that red light that stopped you kept you from being hit down the road? You think, whoa, I got lucky today. You didn't get any such thing. Sovereign protection of God. God's constantly working. He's working in redemption. Jesus performs a work that he's authorized to do. An act of mercy. A lame man needed healed. And some people see the glass half full. Well, why didn't he heal everybody else at that pool? And therein is the glory of God through Christ dying for you. Did he have the power to heal every single lame, blind person that was laid at that pool? Absolutely. Why didn't he? That's not for you and I to know. Why doesn't he save the whole creation that he made? Why does he mark out for himself certain people? Why does he do that? Well, you see, logically speaking, last time I checked, faith is not based upon my logic. Faith is based upon the revealed word of God, and I'm called to trust and obey the lighting of his word, the illumination. I have no idea why Christ died for us. And I mean that personally. I have no idea why Christ died for me. I have no idea why. I can't mark it out. I can't say here's why. Because the Bible teaches me that I can't say he marked me out because of my worth. I can't say he marked out the lame at the pool of Bethesda because that man was more worthy than anyone else or he suffered longer or he was more deserving. But what I do see is that the work of the Father has been going on. And it says, therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath. Now, Christ says, I work. If then it was fitting that God the Father worked with patience and mercy towards lost sinners, and if the Father ministered to the wants of his creatures on earth, he provided for them even on the Sabbath day, then wouldn't it be right for God the Son to work on the Sabbath day? I mean, who is going to argue with Christ what he did? There's not a one of you that are going to get the glory that are saved. They're going to ask, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why did you break the Sabbath? You know why? Because he didn't break it. 
you'd be making a false accusation if you in any way, shape, or form say he broke it. He's authorized to do whatever he wants to do. Now, you and I are given commandments, we're given principles, we're given precepts, and there are things we are to obey, there are things we are to follow. And nobody's arguing with that today. But understand that Jesus worked a work of mercy on the Sabbath day. You know, every day that you live is a work of mercy. So you think mercy saved you, you don't think about the fact that it's mercy that keeps you. You don't think about it's grace that saved you, but it's grace that keeps you. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you. The same mercy that saved you is the same mercy that keeps you. God doesn't look at your previous day and say, son or daughter, you've done enough. I'm going to give you one more day. Somehow we've got this in our mind's eye that God's going to keep giving me more time as long as I keep doing good for him. You couldn't do good enough. You could never do enough that Jesus would say, now you're worthy of me. Think about that for a moment. Because a lot of us, we have it in our mind's eye. Oh, if I do this, 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 and this, he'll look favorably. He doesn't look favorably upon you because of what you do. He's looking favorably upon you because he's God. Many a good person in the eyes of the world has died and gone to hell. Moral people go to hell. You say, I don't like this God. Understand something. When we recognize God and his authority, recognize who God is, you don't argue with God's authority. You simply recognize it and you say, God can do whatever he chooses to do. Notice that he says, it says again, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. The Lord Jesus Christ is now claiming absolute equality, not only in the redemptive work, but absolute equality with the Father in service. By saying his Father, he had done what he had done without any hesitation. When Abraham, Moses, David, and Daniel, none of them ever would have used the same terminology that Jesus is saying. They would never have said we're equal with him. They wouldn't have dared do it. Yet Jesus does it. And by the way, when he healed that man at the pool, he didn't have to debate whether or not what he was doing was right or wrong. He didn't say, if I heal this man, it's the Sabbath. If I heal this man, is this sin? Of course it wasn't. You know, we accuse God and Christ as God and the Holy Spirit. We accuse them of sin when they don't act the way we want them to act. It's not fair, God, that you don't save the whole world. You know what you're doing? You're accusing God of sin. You're accusing God of being something that doesn't meet your standard. Well, here's the problem. We're not the standard. You and I do not set God's standard and say, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. I hear a lot of preaching like that today. Say, God won't do this and God can't do this and he, he, he won't unless you. I, it's all man-centered. Like God is somehow seated up there waiting on us to do something. He's not waiting on any of us to do anything. It's a privilege we get to do anything at all. Jesus makes himself equal with God the Father. And here's that phrase. Now we get there. He said that also God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Equal means to be on an exact same, in the, in the most basic form, the exact same level. The exact same plane. Identical. It's the same equal. His accusers were quick to recognize he had made himself equal with God, and they were right. They were accusing him right. It's sadly, they just didn't have a case. They heard him right. No other meaning could be argued. It couldn't have been a misunderstanding. The Lord didn't say, hey, you misheard me, and say, let me clarify what I just said. Do you notice that? Have you ever misspoken? I'm sure you have. I misspeak all the time. We were joking about this the other day. I, you and you preach for a living. I, I would like to have a journal of how many times I have misspoken from a pulpit. Not intentionally. Jesus doesn't say, oh, wait a minute. Maybe you're not understanding. 
He declares it, doesn't argue with him, doesn't say this is up for debate, let's have a debate. I'm seeing so much of that today. Instead of just declaring that Christ is God, everybody wants to get in a ring with somebody else and say, let's argue and see whose case. What a waste of time. Just declare the truth and stand on it and move on. He didn't call us to be masterful debaters. As a matter of fact, when he, sends the, when he sent the disciples out, he didn't say, go into the world and argue and debate with everybody. Go out in the world and preach the gospel. Just preach it. Just preach what I say and believe what you're preaching. Don't create clever, cute outlines that get people's attention. Don't rely on extra emotion. Just simply go out and preach my word. I chalk every time a preacher says, I don't have any, I'm out of material to preach. I'm like, what? You ran out? From Genesis to Revelation and you ran out. How can that be? Because he's wanting a man-centered. Somehow in that, he wants the glory. You'll never run out. I, you will never exhaust this well. Think about how deep we're going this morning with Jesus making himself equal with God. And folks, we're not even scratching the surface of what he's actually saying here. What its, what its implications are. Instead of, he continues to press upon them the divine claims. That's what the next verses are. He's not arguing with them. He starts declaring truth one after the other. This is the first of those seven proofs. He's going to give them six more proofs of the, for the fact that he's equal with God. All along the same lines, telling this group of bystanders, I am God. Imagine that. Here he's not even seeking to vindicate himself. He doesn't say, I was authorized to do something on the Sabbath day. He doesn't even answer that. He simply just talks about his claim of deity. What's interesting is that this man that had been healed by Christ's divine word, he was a helpless, suffering sinner. They're accusing him of blasphemy. They're accusing him of breaking the Sabbath laws. Now, let's see what kind of a preacher Jesus was, okay? We, we talk about mean-spirited preachers. Now, I'm talking about mean-spirited preachers that are preaching out of emotion. They're preaching out of hatred that's built up, the root of bitterness that gets in there. Here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Turn over to John chapter number 8 and look at verse 37. And Jesus makes no, he makes, he makes no hesitations in his, what he says. He, he completely just says the truth. John 8, 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Now, just let's stop there just for a minute. What if I stood up here today and I said, you know what? This word has no place in you. I'm overstepping a boundary that I'm not given. All right? I have no right to tell you that the word of God has no place in you. All I have a right to do is declare the truth. What God does with that truth, whether he illuminates, opens your eyes to it, that's up to him. Jesus says, you have no, there, my word, Jesus my, says, my word has no place in you. It's nowhere to be found. These are the religious leaders of the day. He says, my word is nowhere found in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Notice the difference between the father he mentions and the father about their father. Do you notice something that sticks out? The father he mentions is capital F. The, 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 the father he mentions to them is lowercase f. He says, your father is not my father. Now that's got a lot of implication. Number one, you're not God, and you're not equal with God, number one. But number two, he's not even your father, even in the redemptive realm. Yeah, this is a nice preacher that everybody would call to have come in their pulpit. Jesus Christ wouldn't get an open invitation to most, anybody, most places because they would not want him to speak so truly. If Jesus came into the modern church revival, 
He'd mess the church up so bad it may have to close. You think I'm kidding? He would come in and speak such truth because, oh, just come speak flowery. We just want to get revived. Well, what if he came in and said, listen, the word of God has no place in you? What's he mean by that? I carry a Bible. I come to church every... My word has no place in you. It's a hard truth about Christ that a lot of people... You, you point to this verse and they say, I, well, they just don't want him. That's not what he says. Go on with me. He says, he acknowledges you're the seed of Abraham. He says, I speak what I've seen of my father. You speak of what your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. I circled that phrase, our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You know what he's even... <laughs> now he tells them, you're really only of Abraham's seed by physical birth. Because Abraham, if Abraham was your real father, you would do the works of Abraham. Well, guess what Abraham's works? Guess who Abraham's works were of? God the Father. He said, what you're doing is not Abraham's works. So you're claiming Abraham is your father. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth. Wow. There's no place for you, and you want to kill me because I told you the truth. Sounds like the Bible preacher of today. Preach the truth, and somebody's going to want to kill you. You say, not today. This is just in Jesus' day. Oh, no. And he says, ye do, or no, which I told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father or the works of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now here's where they're saying, oh no, our God is the same God. See, they said one father. So they're using the capital F there. In their mind, their God was Jesus's God. But he's telling them, no, he's not. He's not your father. And here Jesus continues his nice sermon. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, not want to kill me. You know, the greatest evidence, if a person is actually, even one of the, one of the first evidences, is love for the brethren, of course. But do they even love Jesus? A person that says, I don't love Jesus, but I love God, is not a believer at all. I don't care how big that church is. I don't care how many people they're running. I don't care how many uh, charitable works they're giving. I don't care how many mission trips they go on. If they don't love Jesus, they're not one of God's. He goes on and he says, you, were, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Jesus didn't do his own will when he came. He was doing the will of God the Father. This was before the foundation of the world. Why do ye not understand my speech? Because ye cannot. Circle the word cannot. Most people who struggle with the doctrines of grace right here is the biggie. You cannot hear my word. It doesn't say you won't, doesn't say you're stubborn, doesn't say you're stiff-necked. It says you cannot hear my word. Why? Verse 44, ye are of your father the devil. Man, he's making all kinds of friends, isn't he? He says, there's no place for my word in you. You want to kill me because I tell you the truth. And let me just wrap it up with a nice little bow. Your father is the devil. That kind of preaching would not even get you invited back to most evangelistic crusades we even talk about today in our churches. You would be, we, we can't, we don't want that kind of stuff. We, we just got, we got to keep this on the level that Jesus just loves everybody. He loves it exactly the same. Folks, that's not what he's saying here. And we like to simply make this logical and we say, oh, this was just to those group of Jews. Show me that. 
Show me where Jesus says, what I'm saying to you is just for you and it doesn't, it doesn't include anybody else. Because then you've got problems with Romans 9 and you've got to figure out, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. You have to deal with vessels of mercy and vessels of destruction. You have to make, you cannot just run from this and say, this just has to do with Israel. No, Jesus is declaring to them the importance of what's being said here. He said, you're your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Now, he calls their father the devil. What was the lust? Get this. What was the lust of Satan? The glory of God. You know why Satan fell? He wanted the glory reserved for God alone. What did the Pharisees want? The glory They wanted you to look at them and say, boy, what a group of religious leaders. Look at their flowing robes. Look, they have the scrolls. Look, they are. He said, you're doing exactly the work that your father did. You do the work of your father. I do the work of my father. The work of Jesus' father is redemption. The work of the devil is damnation. They are on both opposite ends of the spectrum. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. Guess what he's basically calling every one of them. He said, you're all murderers and you're all liars. That's just not nice preaching, pastor. I'm glad I didn't say it. It's not my words. This is that same Jesus we portray in flannel graph. Nothing wrong with flannel graph, but this is that same Jesus that is always so tender and always so polite and always so nice and everybody wants to bring home Jesus, but nobody wants to talk about the Jesus here who made himself equal with God, equal with the Father, and what those implications are. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Now notice he doesn't give an altar call here. He doesn't give them an invitation to come accept him. He doesn't say, come believe on me. Therefore, then he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is none that seeketh and judgeth. He literally, they accused him of thou art a Samaritan. They accused Jesus of having a devil. Wow. And I like this in verse 55. He says, yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. He tells them, Abraham even saw me coming. Abraham knew there was a redeemer. Abraham knew the truth. And look what their response, let's go back to our text. Therefore, back in John 5, after he said the things he said in our chapter, and I'm just showing you other times when he said that, of course, was not the same event. But then he says, therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only broke in the Sabbath, but also said that he was, that God was his father, making himself equal with God. The Jews knew what he was saying. They sought to kill him for what he said because he made himself equal with God in deity. Let me give you one thing and we'll close here. John 10, verse 27. And I'm going to just read this through and we'll deal with this on another, we'll deal with this on another day. John 10, verse 27. Actually, let me, let's look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, and notice the order here, you believe not because you are not. Okay? You believe not because you are not of my sheep. A lot of people turn this around. They quote this verse. I said I wasn't going to say anything and watch me. They turn this verse around and they say, I'm not one of the sheep because they don't believe. He said, the very reason you don't believe is because you're not one of mine. Now, that's a hard truth. Again, I don't have the right to look at anybody and say, you're not one of God's sheep. 
And if that's your understanding of the doctrines of grace and the doctrines of election, that you think that gives you a right to go to someone else and say, you're not one of his, you're not one of his, you're not one of his, your theology is all messed up. All you're supposed to do is preach the truth. Even verses like this. Confront people with the truth. He says, you believe not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them, notice the I give, I give unto them eternal life that they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And here's that verse I told you was coming. I and my father are one. If you have the King James Bible, the word my is italicized, which means the translators added it for clarity. Take it out. Just take the word my out. I'm not, I'm not trying to correct the scripture. Just take it out. I and Father are one. It's just as clear. As a matter of fact, it's actually, it might even be a little more clear. I and Father are one. Two on that over lunch today. I and Father are one. The Trinity, three. I and Father are one. And don't use the silly examples of trying to explain the Trinity in human logic. It doesn't work. Every one of them has a hole in it. This doesn't. Someone says, why do you believe in the Trinity? Because Christ declared it. Why do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? We're not looking at it today because even Jesus will say, the Comforter is going to come. He, he equated that even the Holy Spirit, this is all equal. Why do I believe in the Trinity? Because Jesus said it. Why do I believe in the Trinity? Because God's Word says it. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Modern evangelism says, play the 100th verse of just as I am, and surely they're coming forward now. It's not there. Jesus is not telling them. He's telling them all, but you can't hear me because you don't believe. You're not one of mine. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? In other words, pick one. Pick the work that makes you want to stone me. Well, we know there's two. He healed on the Sabbath day. That was enough. They wanted to kill him. He claimed equality with God. That's the second one. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Now notice they said, you're making yourself God. God's, he, Jesus was not making himself anything. That's what he was and is. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said, I am the son of God. If I do not the works of my father, believe me not. Jesus right here says, if I don't do the works that my father's will is, then you have every right in the world not to believe me. But if I do, Though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. There's much more I could say. We'll stop there, but I want you to think about this as we close. I had you think about the phrase, Christ died for us, and these messages all intentionally, by God's intention, they run together. Christ, no one will ever honor the Lord Jesus Christ rightly until they recognize his deity. A return to God, just God in a generic term, will not save anyone. It won't revive anyone. If we don't recognize the eternal Son of God from all of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have shared one divine nature. Three persons, but one divine nature. With one will and one power. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have never had to have a family meeting discussing point of view. And say, Holy Spirit, you're acting out of line. Jesus, you're acting out of line. Father, 
They've always been acting and working with one divine purpose. Three persons, one God. Honoring the Son of God as God does not demean the Father, for honoring the Son is the way through which the Father desires to be honored. In other words, you want to honor God the Father? Honor His Son. You can't honor God the Father without honoring His Son. Discard Christ, you dishonor the Father. That's as simple as I can put it. Jesus Christ made Himself equal with God. Not blasphemy declaring that which was true. Let's stand all around, if you would, and we're going